Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today. Let's open our Bibles now. Grab your Bible if you have one and open to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew will be in chapter 5. I had hoped to be able to continue on in our uh, exposition of Psalm 119. Didn't work out. We're going to this morning look at Matthew 5, verse 3. Let me read, beginning in verse 1, Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Lord Jesus, we humble ourselves before you. As we gaze upon your words, we, we thank you that you have given us eyes to read the scriptures. We thank you that you have given us ears to, to intake your voice through the word of God. We praise you and thank you that you have given us a heart by which has been renewed by the Spirit. That we might worship you and live for you, rejoice in you. That you've given us a body that we might serve you. And so this morning we pray and ask that you would take all these faculties and that, that you would enable them to be fully engaged as we preach and as we listen. That we would receive your word, which is able to save and to sanctify. And that in this short time together, we would be transformed and changed and conformed into your glory. And that we would live for you and, and leave this morning to live for you more fully. We pray these things. In your name, amen. A rather simple question for you as we begin our time this morning. And that is, are you blessed? Are you blessed? Is your life blessed? Is your family blessed? Is Cornerstone Bible Church blessed? Is America blessed? And along with that question, I would even ask, what does that even mean? Well, you use that term all the time. Have a blessed week, brother. The Lord bless you. What a blessed time it was this morning at CBC. But what does that mean? How do we define that term. What do we mean when we say it? I looked up the entry in the Oxford Dictionary, and it says, it defines blessing this way, a title preceding the name of a dead person considered to have led a holy life, especially a person formerly beatified by the Roman Catholic Church. It's probably not what you mean. <laughs> probably not what I mean. Certainly not what you mean. How about for the ancient Greeks? To be blessed meant that the gods were favorably inclined to them, had a good harvest, the rains came, had, they had bread on the table. So that at the end of the season, they could say, the gods have blessed us. Our lives are good. Or how about the world? How does the world define blessing? I mean, they're, they're not... They know this word. They know this term. 
They say things like this. And you'll walk into even an unbeliever's house and they'll say, God, bless this house. People think they're blessed. Why? They have good health. Have a nice body. Have a beautiful spouse. They got a good job. A nice house. Two cars. Season passed at Disneyland. Successful in sports. Graduate of UCLA, Harvard, Yale, Webworth College. Never heard of that one. They have musical talent. They're popular at school. And we, we take all these things and we, what do we do? We count our what? What do we count? We count our blessings. And at the end of the day, the end of the week, end of the month, end of the year, we've got a huge pile of blessings. And we say, oh, I'm blessed. We're blessed. Is that what the word means? Is that what you mean? Is that what I mean? Is that what we ought to mean when we say, God has blessed us? That you are blessed, that I am blessed. Have a blessed week. Those are nice words. But what do we have in mind when we think of that term? And what do we have in mind when we use that word and bless one another? If I was laid off, if my house burned down, if my children die, if my wife leaves me, if my world falls apart, can you look in my eyes and say to me, Marcus, in spite of all that has happened to you, in spite of all of your pain, all of your suffering, you are blessed. If you came to me after this message and you said, I just found out I have terminal cancer. I've got six months to live. I've got three little kids. I've got 50000 in life insurance. I'm, I'm losing everything. And if I looked into your eyes and I said to you, yes, brother, and I, I wept with you, I cried with you, but I looked in your eyes and I said, but you are blessed. Would you believe me? Who is blessed? According to what standard? According to what measurement do you, do I, do we count our blessings? I think that you will agree with me that we look at the world, we know their standard, we know what they say, and we know that it's wrong. But in truth and in practicality, we measure our blessings the same way that they do. We look at our physical state, we look at what we have, we look at our possessions, and we measure our blessings just like the pagans. And this is why Jesus' simple words at the very beginning of his sermon are so profound. He says, Blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Brothers and sisters, Jesus shows us here, and he's going to show us this morning, that our standard of measurement is often not God's standard of measurement. That our standard of measurement is often the world and not the word. That we're, yes, we're Christians. Yes, we're Orthodox. Yes, we have, we have good preaching, good teaching, good equipping. We have godly men in leadership from the Master's Seminary. We have, we're, we're supporting missions. We're doing all the right things. But practically, deep down, internally, we, are, we still fall into the trap of, of assessing our blessings in an ungodly way. And so here, in the greatest sermon preached by the greatest preacher that ever lived, Jesus Christ, he is going to realign us. He's going to redirect our minds, redirect our hearts. And he's going to do that fundamentally by changing the definition and the standard by which we define blessing. Christ reveals to us in Matthew 5, verse 3, who is truly blessed and how one can know it. That's our goal this morning. 
Who is blessed? How can you know it? So I want to give you three headings as we seek to assess the true standard of blessing in our lives. And to do that, we're going to look, first of all, at the meaning of blessing. The meaning of blessing. Jesus Christ says very clearly, without introduction, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, we've already noted our cultural confusion over this term. We use it without grasping what it really means. And difficulty in this verse, particularly in the New Testament particularly, is that there are two Greek terms that are translated with one English word. And we faced this exact same problem when we studied Psalm 119. It's the same problem. We've got one English word that's used to translate two specific Greek terms. Now the first way that the Bible, our New Testaments, our English New Testaments, translate this term is blessed, and they're, and they're translating a term, uh, eulogeo. And I tell you that because you know that term, right? You go to a, a funeral or to a memorial service, and there's the eulogy. And what is that? Eulogeo, right? It's a good word. It means to speak well of someone. You speak good words. And that's essentially what the term means. It means to speak well of. It's a very, very common term in the New Testament. 41 times in the Greek New Testament. So, for example, in uh, Matthew 14, verse 19, when Jesus fed the 5,000, it says that he took the bread, and before he broke it, what did he do? He blessed it. Literally, he spoke well of it. Now, I don't think he's literally speaking of the qualities of the bread. He's not saying, well, this is very soft, still hot, fresh out of the oven. No, he's, he's blessing it. He's speaking well to God. God, bless this food. Use this food in our bodies. Strengthen us. Why? That we might serve you. That we might glorify you. That we might honor you. Or again in Mark 10, 16. Young mothers were bringing their children to Jesus. And he was blessing them. He wasn't squeezing their cheeks, saying, what a little cherub you have. He was speaking to God on their behalf. Father, bless these children. Save them. Glorify your name through their salvation, through their sanctification. Use them for your glory. Use them for your honor. He spoke well on their behalf. Romans 12, 14, Paul says to, to bless our persecutors. When they, when they persecute us, when they curse us, to speak well of them, to speak good words about them, to eulogize them. But that is not what Jesus is saying here. That's not the term that he's using. And why that's important is that Jesus is not asking God to be gracious to the poor in spirit. He's not saying, God, be gracious to these poor in spirit people. That's not what he's saying. What he is doing here is announcing their blessing. I'm not going to explain, I'm not going to give you the Greek term, but... That's literally what the, the word means. It's, a, it's an announcement of someone's current status. That Jesus is broadcasting the status of this person. In essence, he's congratulating them. He's not praying for future blessing. He's not asking God to intervene. He's not asking God to do a good work in this life. Jesus is standing before and he is saying... This person that's poor in spirit, they're blessed at this moment with deep, rich, and as we'll see, everlasting blessing. Some men will go as far, and I think there's reason to do so, to say that the word literally means happy. It's not that the word happy is a bad term, it's just that how we use it and what now undergirds the term, we know just... The things of the world is what brings happiness. No, Christ is saying this man here is, is happy. This woman here is, is internally happy despite what is going on out here. They're happy. Which, what's, which is why what Jesus says secondly is so shocking. We've looked at the meaning of blessing. Now look at the object of blessing. Who does he pronounce this blessing upon? Who is happy internally 
the successful single, right? the, the retiree, living the good life. Christ tells us, blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit. Now, track with me just for a few more minutes here. Not super technical, but just want to define these terms. Because the Greek New Testament, again, often uses one word for two different Greek terms. So you'll see the word poor in the Bible a number of times. And it's usually describing a person who has no extras. Got one sweater, one pair of shoes. He's got a one-room house. He's got one pot. He's got one spoon. And just picture a family that's just living hand to mouth. I mean, they've, they've, they're paying the rent, but at the end of the month, and they, they tally everything up, it's like they've got 10 cents left over. Right? They're poor. And that's not what Jesus is speaking of here. The word that Jesus uses here is a word literally that means to be impoverished. It means to be without means, to suffer lack, to have a great want. It's the same word that Jesus used in Mark 10. Go sell your possessions, give to the poor, the impoverished, the homeless. That's what he said to the rich young ruler. Give it to those who have nothing. It's the same term Jesus used in Luke 14, 13. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. He just he throws it all together. These are, the, these are the, the bottom of the barrel. These are people who have nothing. I shared before, many years ago, I used this illustration that when I was a, a musician and I was down in San Francisco and I walked out of this hotel I was staying at, nice hotel, and if you've been to San Francisco before, you know, panhandlers everywhere, and everyone's asking money, you know, they're professional panhandlers, they, you know, they take off their nice clothes, they put on their, their bum-looking suit with holes, and they go stand out there and they're asking you for money. And you're like, is this person legitimate? Does he really need money? I walked into my hotel room, and there was a, a wheelchair with a man, and he had, he had no legs. He was wearing shorts. I still remember he had these jeans, these cut-off shorts. He just had two stubs, had never had any legs in his life, and he was wearing a white tank top. And on this side, he had nothing. There was nothing there. <clears throat> and on this side of his, of his shoulder, there was what looked like, essentially like a crab pincer. And he just stood there, sat there with a cup, holding with that little pincer this cup. And he didn't need to say anything. Somebody had to roll him there. Someone had to take that cup and put it in his pincer. And they just left him there. And he didn't need to say anything. Every person that saw this man knew this man was absolutely desperate, absolutely impoverished. And your heart went out to this man. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. They are impoverished. They are spiritually destitute. Nothing to their name. And he's, as you know, he's not talking about his, his Chase bank account. He's talking about his spiritual wallet. He has nothing before God. Righteousness, holiness, goodness. It's empty. In fact, it's worse than empty. Because you can be at zero, and that's okay. But you can also be in debt. You can be $10, $20, $30 overdrawn. You can be millions of dollars overdrawn. And in and, and essence, Jesus Christ is saying here, we are infinitely spiritually overdrawn and bankrupt before a holy and righteous God. We have nothing before him. So how is it? Jesus says this man is blessed. Some of you guys know what it's like to lose everything. And maybe haven't had to gone to be in debt for some time. Nobody says, ah, what a blessing. I've told you guys about the, the executory, the executory in the Czech Republic, right? You can't really file for, for bankruptcy in Czech Republic. So when your debt 
gets higher and higher, they sell your debt to these guys that are called the executori. It means executor. They buy your debt, and that just keeps accumulating. And they come to your house, knock on your door. They have a warrant. They come into your house, and they put a sticker with an electronic tracker. They put it on everything you have. They put it on your car. They put it on your, your furniture. They put it on your plates. They put it on your computer. And they say, we're coming back in one month. You start paying this debt, or we're coming, and we're taking everything. And that's what they do. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. No, actually, those kinds of people are blessed in that spiritual sense. These people with this much debt, these people with this much poverty are blessed. How can Jesus say that? Number three, the answer is found in our third heading, the basis of the blessing. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That, that simple word for. There's our answer. The basis for which Christ can pronounce this man. He's happy. He's blessed. He has it all. Christ congratulates him. For his is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, he's a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. He's a citizen of a kingdom that will never fade, never fail, never crumble. He is a citizen where where Christ is his king, where God is his father. And for that reason, for that reason alone, he has everything. Even if in this world he has nothing. And notice as well the, the present tense of the verb. Not will be, not might be. Not hopefully will be, but present, actual, factual tense. Blessed are the poor in spirit. There is now the kingdom of heaven. Jesus tells us that this man or woman may have nothing. But because they have God, they have everything. It means that though his earthly life may be filled with toil, heartache, and suffering... That in the future there is laid up for him the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to him on that day. He means that we do not lose heart, though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. And prepared and fit for the glories of the coming kingdom. In other words, brothers and sisters, this text gives hope. This text gives great hope. Our earthly status has no bearing upon our future blessedness. So that's just a a brief overview of what our Lord is saying. This really leads us to two major issues. And I want to spend the rest of our time looking at these two issues. First of all, we've been getting up to this. This single verse from our Lord's sermon confronts the standards by which we evaluate blessings. The Beatitudes show us that we must change our definition of blessing. So we need to be changing what we mean when we say have a blessed week. And we need, we need to change what we mean when we say you're blessed. Brothers and sisters, we are very tempted to look at our lives around us and measure with our, what our eye sees. And we, we measure what the eye sees, and on that basis, and almost on that basis alone, we determine if this is a blessing or a curse. And I would just want to add this, this morning that some of you are suffering And as a man, as a human being, I empathize with you. I I want the suffering to go away. I want the, the thorn in the flesh to be pulled out. But when we step back and we look at all of eternity and we know that God is using our present afflictions to produce in us an eternal weight of glory 
far surpassing all that we see, then I can theologically and by the Spirit look upon you and say, yes, it's painful. I want it to go away for you, but you're blessed. Because God is using that in your life to refine you and to conform you to Christ. And he's using that to give you far greater riches and glory in the coming kingdom. We can look at what's taking place in China. They're they're attacking churches. They're attacking Christians. They're they're physically destroying Christian buildings, putting them to rubble, putting them in jail. And yet we can say they're blessed. And that momentary light affliction, light affliction is producing in them eternal weight of glory. And brothers and sisters, it's coming here. It's coming here. I have a, a Christian brother in check right now. He, last week he was brought a, a contract. He's at a job. It's 2019. They're renewing these contracts there in Europe. And on the contract, there he must sign that he will agree with all the company policies regarding gender neutrality and everything. He's walking away. Well-paying job. Good position. Room to, to keep moving up. He's leaving. He's being forced to, to go against his conscience. He's being forced to bow to the world. He's being forced to burn incense to Caesar. And in my flesh, I'm tempted to think, man, that's it's wrong. It is wrong. That's bad. It is bad. But he's blessed. He is being persecuted, as Jesus said, for the sake of righteousness. He's being persecuted because he's taking a stand for Christ. And it's coming here, and it's going to get worse. And we're going to, people are sooner, we're going to be coming here together, and we're going to be sharing our stories of suffering. We're going to lose our jobs. We're going to lose our positions. We're going to lose our homes. We're going to lose all that this world holds dear, and even what you and I hold dear. And then we're going to be asking, are we blessed? And then I think, then we'll see it. Then we'll finally realize, no, my hope was never in the house. My hope was never in the car. It was never in my bank account. It's always been in Christ. And we will bless his name. Thank you, Christ, for stripping me of this stuff. Thank you for removing this from me. Thank you for showing me where my blessing lies. I bless your holy name. Brothers and sisters, this, if we grasp what Christ is saying, it will change the way we think of them. And I'm not, I'm not going to stand up here this morning. I'm not calling for this radical upheaval. I'm not going to say, sell your house, move into a one-bedroom apartment, and use one, you know, whatever. That's not the point. The point is, understand that if you have Christ, you're so blessed. And that when it comes, when it comes, and it will come, you're still blessed, maybe even more. All of these things will pass away. All of these things will pass away. This pulpit is going to pass away. This building is going to pass away. Your clothes, your house, your flesh, it's all rotting. And so Christ says, do not store up treasures in heaven. Moth and rust destroy where thieves break in and steal. Don't be consumed with the perfect body. Don't be consumed with the outer man. Don't be consumed storing up treasures on earth. Brothers and sisters, if, 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 if I came to you and I said, look, this afternoon, I've got inside trader information, whatever. This afternoon, the stock market's going to utterly collapse. And every single U.S. dollar will be worth one one-thousandth of a cent. What would you think about those men right now on Wall Street? What would you think about all the people in the world with all of their stocks, with all of their money? What would you think? Would you say, oh, they're blessed? You would say, no. They're fools. They're losing it all. They took all of that. They stuck it in there, and now it's worth nothing. And brothers and sisters, that's the world. That's what the world's doing. They're taking all of this. They're storing it up, storing it up, and it's going to be worth nothing. It's going to evaporate. It's going to disintegrate. And Christ says, blessed are the poor in spirit. 
Blessed are those who see where their, their real treasure lies. No one, no one, when they stand before Christ, will say, ha, why didn't I invest more in Apple? Right? Why didn't I do this? Why didn't I buy that? No. I know, brothers and sisters, at the end of the day, at the, in the beginning of the morning, I know what is my prayer almost every day, Christ, a waste of time, so easily distracted, so easily caught up on the world, so easily caught up in this and that, and my eyes are constantly taken off of you and put over here and put over here. At the end of the day, I evaluate my day again. I'm like, Jesus, help me. Help me to live for you. Help me to love you. Help me to honor you so that when I stand before you, I will rejoice with great glory. Not having wasted what you've given to me. That is to say, brothers and sisters, that our view of the future will change the present. It is the kingdom. He, he said this morning in his introduction, we're adopted. He said, we have an inheritance. We have an inheritance. Brothers and sisters, the world's bank account, their $1 is going to be worth one one-hundredth of a cent. We're waiting for an eternal inheritance that's coming to us. It is the kingdom of heaven. It is ours now. We're just, we're just waiting for the full payment. It's coming. It is coming. And this is why you can say, if you have Christ, you're blessed. If you have Christ, everything Christ has belongs to you. If Christ dwells in you, you will dwell with him forever. You can be the most poorest, impoverished, persecuted person on the face of this earth. But if you have Christ, you're blessed. You are blessed. So brothers and sisters, I would, I would ask you to evaluate your standard of blessing. And we do need to do this frequently. We need to evaluate what it is we're pursuing, thinking that it will bless us, thinking that it will make us happy. Stop evaluating your blessing by the world's standards. Stop allowing the world to define and determine your happiness. Make Christ your treasure. Let Christ define and determine your happiness. There's one other issue we need to deal with, especially regarding the kingdom. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Which forces us to ask the question, well, how does one get in? How does one experience this blessing? I mean, Jesus isn't saying if you're, if you're physically, literally poor, you're in the kingdom. That's not, this is not a social justice gospel, okay? This is not bad things happen to you in this life. And bad things do happen. There's a lot of bad things that happen in this world. But Jesus is not saying that because bad things happen to you in this world, that you're going into the kingdom. So how does one get in? Let me come at it from a different angle. What keeps one from getting in? What keeps one from getting into the kingdom of heaven? What keeps people from the kind of blessing, happiness, and joy that Jesus is referring to here? What keeps people from salvation, we could ask? What keeps people from having their sins washed away? What keeps people from Jesus Christ? What keeps people from the kingdom of heaven? Very simple. Pride, self-righteousness, self-confidence. Who is Jesus' blessing for? Humor me. Who is Jesus' blessing for? The who? The poor in spirit. Okay? And we talked about what that word means, impoverished. What's going on here? Well, it's very simple. This person recognizes who he is before God. He sees his spiritual status before the God that created him. He appraises his good works. He appraises his life. He appraises his day. He appraises his heart and his mind. And by the grace of God, 
the Spirit working in his life, he realizes, I'm not a good person. I'm not a good person. I'm a sinful man. I'm wretched. I've used everything that God has given me against God. This is what I tell the Czech people all the time. They say, oh, life's a big accident, right? There's no purpose to this world. It's all a big accident. I say, that's very interesting. So this world's a big accident. There's no purpose to your life. No, there's no purpose to life. There's no purpose to this world. No, there's no purpose to this world. Okay, let me ask you something. What time do you get up? I get up at 6. How often? Uh, every day. Okay. What do you do after breakfast? Right? Uh, you know, I get dressed, take a shower, I get in my car, I go to work. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, what do you do after that? Oh, I have lunch. Oh, what do you do? Oh, I come home. Oh, I go to the gym. I said, it sounds to me like you live with purpose. It sounds to me like you have some sort of organization and, and structure in your life. So you're telling me that this, is, this whole thing's a big accident. There's no purpose to the world, but you live every single day of your life as if there's purpose. Yeah, that's right. That doesn't make any sense. So let me tell you the truth. You know that you're a liar. I don't say it like that. I say it lovingly. I say it graciously. This is, and we, do, we have a good conversation. But my friend, let me explain to you. Your eyes that God has given you with. You use your eyes to look away from him and to look upon everything defiled. The hands that God has given you with, instead of serving him, instead of honoring him, you use them to sin against him, to defile yourself. Your feet, you run rapidly to evil. Your mind, you scheme wickedness. You live with purpose, and every purpose of your heart and intention of your heart is against God. And my friends, when the sinner gets that, when the truth sinks in, through the ear, to the mind, to the heart. He says, I'm undone. Everything that this God has given to me, every second of my life, I have used it against him. Every thought has been against him. Every glance has been against him. Every work of my hands has been against him. My entire life has been lived against him. I'm undone. There's no hope for me. His wrath is upon me. And now Christ says, now you got it. You're bankrupt before a holy God. You're destitute. You have nothing. And in that state, in that state, Jesus says, you're blessed. Because there's nothing that you can do to get yourself right with a God that you have spent your entire life hating. There's nothing that you can do. And Jesus is saying, look, you don't get in because you're a Jew. He's preaching to, the, to thousands of Jewish people in the synagogue, going to the temple, sacrifice. He says, you don't get in because of any of that. You're not in because you rile on the law and you boast in God and you, and you know his will and approve the things that are essential because you're instructed out of the law. You're not in because of your physical birth. You're not in because of anything you do. And brothers and sisters... You know that as well. And, and if you're here this morning and you don't know that, then let me tell you, you're not in because of anything you do. You're not in because you read your Bible. You're not in because you go to church. You're not in because your parents go to church. You're not in because you're, you're, you're a missionary kid. You're not in because you're a missionary. You're not in because you're a pastor. You're not in because you were baptized. You're not in because you memorized lots of verses. You're not in because you can say all the books of the Bible forward and backwards. You're not in because you're homeschooled. You're not in because you go to Christian school. You're not in because you go to Awana. You're not in because of anything that you do. When I was in sixth grade, I went with my best friend to Texas for two weeks. Flew down to San Antonio, got in the car, and we drove to Wembley, Texas. I don't, I don't know. It was a couple hours away probably. And uh, time of my life, I went to my first rodeo, sitting in the stands, and watched the guy come out, you know, riding, riding around the barrels. Another guy comes out on the bucking bronco, holding on for dear life. The other guy comes out riding the bulls. And later on in the show, this one guy comes out, cowboy, and he's got this leather satchel, and he's riding around the arena. And he opens his satchel up, and he starts throwing Gold out into the stands, Whew, flying. So I, I'm a sixth grade kid, and I, I run with all the other little kids. And I run and just grab over there and I pick it up. It like, looks like gold, but it doesn't feel like gold. It doesn't smell like gold. And I look at it, and when I realized what it was, I dropped it in horror. What was it? It was 
gold spray-painted cow manure. Well, I'm in sixth grade, so I've got enough common sense to know, like, I don't want that. But some of these kids, you know, first graders, kindergartners, they pick up their treasure, and they're running back to mom and dad. <laughs> Daddy, look at my gold. Look at my gold. And what does dad say? Son, you ain't got nothing but dung. <laughs> my friends, that's the gospel. People come to God with all of their, their righteous deeds. They come to him with their works, with their religion, with their prayers. Oh, God, I read my Bible yesterday. Oh, God, I said a prayer. I did a Hail Mary. I went to Cornerstone Bible Church. I went to, I went to Grace Community Church. I, I did this. I've done that. I've done these things. I'm a good person. I help the poor. I give to the needy. I do all these things. God, I'm in the kingdom because this. And God says, you have done. You have nothing. You have nothing. How can you get in? It's when you come to God and you realize that what you do have is dung. And you say, God, I have nothing to contribute to my salvation except my own wretched defilement and my mountain of sin against you. The gospel is that Jesus Christ went to the cross to take that pile of sin and filth and spiritual dung upon himself. To pay for our sins in his body on the cross. Paul says, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. He says again in Romans 3.20, By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Isaiah says, all of us become like one who is unclean. All of our righteous deeds are like a filthy rag. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, That God made him who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf that we might become the what? The righteousness of God. We come to God with our spiritual dung. And he gives to us the precious righteousness of Christ by placing us in the Lord Jesus himself. Which means, backing away from that, that Jesus Christ entered into the holy of holies with our spiritual dung. You understand what took place at the cross? That what's taking place on earth, we do not fully grasp what is taking place in heaven, but Hebrews tells us he entered inside the veil. He entered into the presence of the Father, now no longer as the pure, holy, and righteous Son, but he entered in on our behalf, not with his own sins, not with his own unrighteousness, not with his own wretchedness, but with mine and with yours. He entered into the presence of almighty God with our dung, with our spiritual wretchedness, with our immorality and our ungodliness. And what does the holy nature of God do? He vents his indignation. He pours out his wrath, his just, righteous indignation upon the Son. Now let me explain something to you. The reason that hell is eternal is because it takes all of eternity to pay for your sins. There's no purgatory. There's no, there's no shortcut there's no, hey, let me borrow some grace from somebody else to shorten the time. There's no other way. Once you're there, you pay for all of eternity. But Jesus Christ, in his perfect holiness, was able to enter into the presence of the Father on our behalf. And he paid for all of our sin. He quenched the wrath of the Father in three hours upon the cross. That as the Father's furious burning indignation was poured out, and it says, he says, Father, remove this cup from me. 
yet not, not my will, but yours will be done. And we know that the father tilted that cup into the son's mouth. He, he put the cup into his hands. And as the son holds it, the father tilts the cup into his son's lips. And the, the son drinks the wrath of the father into himself. And he pays for our sins. He bears our sins in his body upon the cross so that we might be freed. So that we might be blessed. And that's how you get in. You get in. Because there's nothing that you can do, but Christ did it all. And this is why God gives grace to the humble. Isaiah 57, 15 says, For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, I dwell in a high and holy place, but also with the contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Which is why Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Humility, humility is what allows us to get in. I don't mean false humility. I don't mean beating yourself and making yourself humble. No, I mean acknowledging who you are. Acknowledging you have nothing to do. It's very interesting. Our Lord says that the gate is small. The gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to eternal life. The gate is small. I don't know if you've ever noticed that before. I was thinking about this as I studied. But I think what it means, brothers and sisters, is this. No one walks through the gate. No one strolls in. The only way you go in is on your knees. In humility. In brokenness. In contrition. And I don't see how there's any other way to go in. When you know what Jesus Christ endured upon the cross for you, the Father doesn't walk up behind you and smack you in the back of your legs and say, on your knees, son. No. The father points to the cross and he says, this is what my beloved son has done for you. And when you see it and in that, that moment of grace when the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin and you're unrighteous to, and you see this is what Jesus Christ did for me. You fall upon your knees. You fall upon your knees in love and adoration and worship. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to you for dress. Helpless look to you for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. It is because of Christ and only because of Christ that you are in. It is because of Christ and only because of Christ that at this moment all may be crumbling and yet you have deep, lasting, even eternal joy. So I ask you, are you blessed? Are you blessed? Are you, are you fortunate? Are you happy? Are you rejoicing this morning? If you have Christ, you are blessed. It may be that your life is the worst it's ever been, that your world is crumbling, your body is deteriorating, your heart is shattering. And yet I just want to tell you this morning, but you are blessed. You are blessed. But on the other hand, if you do not have Christ... If you do not have Christ, it may be that you have absolutely everything that anyone could ever want, but you have nothing. And so I would urge you, I would plead with you to come to Christ. Come to him this morning. 
if you will come to him this morning and you will come to him and say, Jesus, this is what I have for you. I came here this morning. I wasn't going to come and I thought, well, my, I'm coming to church. I'm a good person. I went to church today. I did this. I did these things. But if you will come to him this morning and say, Jesus, this is what I have for you. My sin, my unrighteousness, my ungodliness, my defilement. This is all I have. Listen to me. Give that to him. He will take it from you. He will take your sins and he will give you his righteousness. He says, come to me, all who are weary laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Find rest for your souls. Come to me. I don't want to just preach a hyper-Calvinistic gospel. I don't just want to tell you what Jesus did and then sit down and pray and hope that you'll figure it out. Jesus Christ came into the world. He, he died. He preached. He said, come to me. Enter into the narrow gate. Come now. If you do not know Christ, get beyond the, the hyper-crazy guy behind the pulpit. I, I apologize. But just listen to what I'm saying. I preach with earnestness because I believe this with all of my heart. This is real. Come to the Lord Jesus this morning. Incline your ear to him. Seek him well. He will be found. And he will give you everlasting life and citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. Come to him with nothing but your own sin. Acknowledge him as Lord and God and creator. Bow before him. You will be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a mighty God. And the gospel is a mighty word. We bow before you, mindful of what we deserved. Lord, we bow before you, rejoicing in what we've been given. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for laying down your life for us and taking it up again, and raising us up with you, that we might be with you forever and ever in your glory, for the Father's joy and for our good. Amen.